0: G'day legends, just a quick note before we get into this episode. I really hope you're enjoying the podcast, and if you are, I reckon you'll love my vlog over on YouTube, Skulls Weekly. After almost 300 episodes of my daily vlog, Skull Stories, we wanted to continue to make it interesting and add value to you guys as cricket lovers and cricketers, cricket coaches, and so we've changed it up. We're making it a much higher quality production. We're trying to give as much value as we can And we've made it a weekly vlog, Skolls Weekly. We've had some excellent feedback so far. So guys, head over to YouTube, search Cricket Mentoring. Please subscribe, like, share, comment, etc. And check out my new vlog, Skolls Weekly. Welcome to the Cricket Mentoring Podcast. I'm Tom Scolle, or Skolls as I get called. And this podcast has been designed for cricketers and cricket lovers. Who want to learn and improve themselves in this podcast we interview past current and future cricket stars to find out more about their journey and what makes them successful while also sharing some audio from ourselves at cricket mentoring our goal is to help you become your best on and off the field so i hope you enjoy this podcast and get something valuable out of it g'day legends welcome back or welcome to the cricket mentoring podcast Unless you're a keen follower of women's cricket in England, you probably wouldn't have heard of today's guest, yet. Naomi Dutani is an all-rounder and the captain of the Middlesex women's team and has recently spent time in Perth playing club cricket and developing her game in Australian conditions. I first came across Naomi in November last year when she reached out for some mentoring and really enjoyed helping her develop her game and mindset during her three months in Perth. While she's not a household name yet, I have no doubt that she will be in the future, She has a very inspiring story that I wanted to share with our community. As one of only a couple of female Asian cricketers who played in the Women's Kia Super League, Naomi is creating a pathway and inspiring a huge number of female cricketers in London and around the UK. During the recently completed and hugely successful Women's T20 World Cup, the ICC stated that they want to have 1 million new females playing cricket around the world in the next year. The Asian community in the UK is an untapped market for female cricket and hopefully sharing Naomi's story will inspire some young girls, not just in the UK, but around the world to either give cricket a go or to really pursue their dream of playing cricket at the highest level, just like Naomi has done. This was a great conversation with a lovely person, so I hope you enjoy it. G'day legends and welcome to this episode of the Cricket Mentoring Podcast, I'm with a friend, a very good cricketer, Naomi Zetani. Naomi, welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. Naomi is the captain of the Middlesex women's cricket team and a very good cricketer. She's out here at the moment playing club cricket for midland Guildford in the um, WACA Premier Women's Cricket Competition and is has done a little bit of coaching for us here at Cricket Mentoring and I've done some coaching with her. So really looking forward to this conversation, getting to know her story a bit more and sharing it with you guys. So as always, let's take it back. Yep. What's your first memory of playing cricket?
1: Um, So first memory would probably be, I think, the same story, older brother um, in, in the garden. Um, but we used to play a lot of different sports, so we used to be quite inventive. We used to play, obviously, cricket, basketball, a bit of hand tennis, volleyball, everything that you could ever imagine. And, um, yeah, my brother would always want to bat in the garden, so I kind of started bowling. We had a small little lane to... To try and get the ball down and use the wheelie dustbins as the as the wickets, so a big target to aim at. But um, that's kind of how how it all started. And every summer we probably play in the back garden and break a lot of my mom's <laughs> plant pots too. So she wasn't very happy with that. But um, yeah, so we kind of make up the rules as we go. For certain plant pot would be a certain amount of runs, be six and out um, if you hit it over the fence. So yeah, yeah to learn to hit the ball on the ground from an the, from the early age, for sure. Awesome,
0: how old, much older is your brother than you? Uh, he's five years older.
1: Yeah, um, awesome,
0: and so did he drive you to be better? Did he inspire you to try and get to his level?
1: Yeah, I think he, he he's very competitive, so he always, would come up with different ideas and different almost training techniques to, you know, throw the ball and catch it under fatigue and all these kind of weird things that we'd come up with. Um, so he, you know, he was definitely the first first influence on my career um, playing the game, and he was kind of the one who encouraged me to kind of take it to the next step. Awesome. And
0: was he getting inspired by cricket on the TV, or where was so you were sort of probably getting inspired by him? I suppose he was taking you outside. Well, where was he getting his inspiration from?
1: Um, I think he was just a sport lover, so he would watch lots lots of things, football, cricket, everything. So I guess he just wanted to try to see what would happen if we played cricket, if we played football, if we played basketball. Um, so yeah, he, he kind of pushed me to keep going and... We kind of cricket became a sport that I became really good at quite
0: quickly. Mm, awesome. It's amazing how um, players in the backyard, their, their game as professionals has been shaped by their environment in the backyard mm-hmm. and whether it's okay there's a gap over there and you get four runs for that and like you say hitting the ball on the ground is something you had to do from a young age okay. and so you keep the ball on the ground now it's something you're good at. It's It's fascinating. How did you progress from the backyard to competitive cricket?
1: Um, so my brother went online and we'll, we'll had a look around at the time and found the boys' local boys' cricket club it was Perivale Cricket Club at the time, um, and so we just turned up and um, I think it was an indoor indoor session at the time and I just looked around. And it didn't even phase me that there was just, I was the only girl um, in in the hall and he was like, "Are you going to be okay?" You know, I was like, "Yeah, we'll just get get on with it." Um, how old um, were you at this stage? Uh, do you remember? I think I was like nine okay right and myself. just to give
0: our viewers some more context whereabouts in the world this is in London isn't yeah, it?
1: yeah west, so west London um, literally it was five minutes down the road nearby Ealing um, and so yeah we started training training there played the indoor cricket league with them um, and kind of just started playing the season the summer season for them every weekday evening we had a or every Wednesday evening for example we had a game we'd play against someone Um, and then yeah it was a it was probably an exciting time and I'm actually really thankful for my coach at the time there Um, he's kind of the one who invested in me at the time and thought well you've actually got something here.
0: Mm. And I assume you were playing with boys your age and your brother was off with an older age group?
1: Weirdly my brother actually never played cricket externally from um from the back garden um so like i said he was just a sports lover his, his game was more football um, so all the boys yeah were my age um and the only girl in the team there was no female dress dressing room at the time i have to go change um somewhere somewhere else um so a lot of a lot of difficult things there and same i played boys cricket at my high school too um and yeah, it was, it was a little bit challenging, yeah. um, but it was probably a good thing at the time now that I look back.
0: So you got into the Middlesex Academy very early. What mm-hmm. age was that, and how did that all come
1: about? Um, so I think there was a guy that kind of rocked up to Rail Cricket Club, and he was in the Middlesex kind of system and said, oh, do you know that there's an under-11s Middlesex squad? I said, no, I didn't even know girls played cricket. Um, So this was an under-11s girls' squad? Squad, Yeah, Yeah. so, um, and at the time, you know, if you could catch a ball and you could hit a ball, you are getting into the squad at the time, the competition was quite um, low, so from then I started Middlesex under-11s and kind of worked my way through that pathway um, till today.
0: Awesome, so yeah, you're obviously still with Middlesex, so it's been a a sort of a 13 or 14 year journey with them, I suppose. Um, How influential throughout this time? throughout all your career I suppose has have mentors been and who has been influential in your career?
1: I think um, I'm quite thankful to a lot of the organisations that I've been a part of, so Paravel, my high school, um, my PE teachers there, you know they were really supportive of me having games on the weekend and being a bit lean in on my homework and I think I was a mixture of people and then when I got to Middlesex, had a coach for recruits at the time he kind of pushed me along into kind of emerging players programs and training with academy boys at the time when I was 14, 15 and uh, so he was a big influence then um, and then yeah just going through the systems like Loughborough University at uh, Salyan Briggs who's now the coach of um, Hobart Hurricanes so a really good influence there at the time and then more recently Sanjay Patel and um, so I think there's a lot of coaches that have dipped in and invested in my time and I'm f- really thankful to everyone who's, who I've worked with over the years. Mm.
0: And what stage did you think, obviously women's cricket's been changing dramatically in the last sort of five to ten years, at what stage did you think, this is something I want to do at the highest level and maybe it wasn't I want to make a living or be professional but I want to do this and take this seriously.
1: Um, I wasn't actually sure, I didn't really watch much cricket and I didn't know what was a, like around and I kind of just rode the wave through um going uh, They had junior super fours what they called at the time so your best 40 50 players under 16 or under 17 and I didn't really know what that meant I didn't know you could take it even further than that um and so I kind of just rode the wave and never really thought I was actually good enough to become like better or play at a higher level um, and so then I I think the turning point was when I joined Loughborough University and they had this MCCU program, Yeah, gym twice a week. And is know, this 18 or how old? Long... 18 years old, yeah. Yep. So all of a sudden I've gone to a university which I went for my degree in sports science and then realised, oh, there's such a great cricket program here. Um, so yeah, gym twice a week, training two, three times a week, cricket skills, Recovery games every every week, Um, and I fell in love with that whole training program and just realised oh there is more to this than than I than I thought Um, and that kind of kick started my um, me working harder and and trying to get to the next level from there. Amazing. Now let's
0: wind it back in again. Yeah. At fourteen, you made your debut for the Middlesex Women's Team. Yeah. That must have been pretty remarkable. You're playing with Women, were there some England players in the team? Yep,
1: so we had um, Beth Morgan at the time. She she play um, ex England international now, but she was someone I looked up to when I was fourteen years old. She was my captain at the time, um, and yeah, when I when I debuted, we yeah, were playing against players like Charlotte Edwards, um, Claire Taylor, you know, all these, all these Ichigua, they're all all girls that are the legends of the game at the moment. So. You know, I walk onto the pitch and I'm bowling and I'm, like, oh, I'm actually bowling to some really good players here. Um, and I didn't really think much of it at the time, you're, just, you're young, you don't really know what's going on yeah. and you just bowl and h- hope for the best that you, you have a good debut. So started quite early for sure, um, but it was a good experience to be around early and, mm. and know that I've got to take someone's place mm. eventually and work hard to do that. Mm.
0: Now you're an all-rounder at the moment. You're working hard at both bowling and batting. Really, very good at both. But what were you getting picked on for back then as a fourteen-year-old? Uh,
1: it was my bowling. So I was left arm left arm bowler, um, and that's kind of how I started my career. Was my was my bowling. So um, coming in maybe first change um, and trying to swing the ball in at the time. And so bowling was my main skill for for a long time. Up actually till about twenty years old. Um, yeah.
0: And then is that when you decided I need to take my batting more seriously and really work hard and become an all-rounder?
1: Yeah, I think so. I, I was almost not getting picked into teams because of my batting, and I thought oh, I need to I need to work on it um, a lot more and work on my technique and really just catch up in a way and hit as many balls as I can to make that a, a really strong second skill. How did you go about doing that? Um, I think. Again, Loughborough, we worked really hard and um, Sal and I would look at my technique and video like what, you know, where my head was going and, and, and that was kind of the starting point and then when I came to, decided to come to Australia and, and do that, I worked so hard on my back. I think I must have hit like 800 to 1000 balls a week to just really just try and catch up with the um, just grooving the technique and just keeping it nice and simple. I would even like feed to myself if I didn't have anyone to feed to, like put the ball under your chin and just hit hit to the back of the net. And so I spent a lot of time doing that, just, just trying to catch up mm-hmm. with all the years that I missed beforehand.
0: Mm-hmm. Amazing, and that's the self-drive and discipline that the best yeah. athletes have. Um... Let's take a quick break from the podcast for a minute to thank our sponsors, Grove Cricket. Grove is the best gear in the business, and we absolutely love using it. Guys, if you're interested in some Grove Cricket gear, then send us a message on Instagram. Let us know what you're after, and we can help you become a user of Grove. And in doing so, you can support what we're doing here at Cricket Mentoring. It is awesome gear, and I'm sure you'll love it as much as we do. Now, let's get back to this episode. Tell us a bit more about your time at university. So you were studying exercise and sports science. Mm-hmm. You are in the Loughborough Uni program. So it was three three year program. Were you playing a lot of cricket then? And was it, um, what sort of level was that? Um, that
1: was a really good uh, level. So we'd play every Wednesday against other universities, 50-year-old uh, games. Um, and we have a lot of traveling involved in that. Were
0: there other, prof- like not professional, but girls that had played
1: um, for their, their county. Uh, yep, yeah. and, and so in the Loughborough squad I was actually really fortunate to be amongst, I think it's seven of the girls who currently play for England now, and they were in the system then. So actually me and three or four others, we were the minority in the, uh, in the Loughborough squad. There was eight girls, nine girls who were in England Academy all playing for England. Wow. So um, it was a really competitive um, environment to be in, and that's probably what made me a lot better, being being able to bowl against better batters and being able to bat against better bowlers like Anja Shrubsoll like Catherine Brunt, who was there as an assistant now and again. Um, so that kind of set up forced you along and everyone was, the rest of us were all county players too. Mm-hmm. So um, when we played against other universities you'd have a handful of county players from going to those universities, the standard was, was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, So yeah, that's probably that competitive and nature allowed you to get better because you're playing with better players. Yeah, Um, and
0: now you touched on you came out to Australia. So did you finish your uni degree and then come straight out? And that was something you did for the, obviously, to better yourself as a cricketer?
1: Yeah, so I kind of said to myself, you know, a lot of coaches had said to me I had a lot of potential and I kind of hadn't given myself a chance to to explore that, um, so I finished education. and I decided I'm going to dedicate the next six months to, to going out to Australia. I also wanted to travel as well, so it kind of um, I got to achieve both those things. Um, but just being out in Australia for six months, pretty much by myself, um, with no one around, I had no I had no I didn't know anyone in Melbourne. Um,
0: how did How did you get to Melbourne? How did the process of getting to Melbourne
1: happen? Um, one of the girls from Middlesex at the time, she had come to Paran Cricket Club and um, for for six weeks and she said, Oh, you know, why don't you get in contact? And actually I met the men's head coach in London because they were on tour, um, and we met for a coffee and he said, Look, this is what we can do for you, this is our coaching setup programme and then it kind of happened from there and and you know, had a really good setup with accommodation and and, and everything there. So we just carried up, got going from the from ball one and twenty twenty games, fifty over games. The coach there, Carl Sandry, was um, probably one of the most important coaches I've had in my career as a turning point for my batting. He helped me so much. Invested so much time into into me. Uh, again, noticed that potential, and we just put in hours and hours of hitting balls together, and and again, very thankful for. What he's done for my back because that's kind of shaped us how i back now awesome so when you're
0: in melbourne were you working were you doing anything how were you surviving and how are you making the cricket dream stay
1: alive um so i'd saved up a lot before i came came uh, there my parents supported me as well with, with flights and everything and then um coaching was coach at the junior club opposite the road um three or four times a week um had a few one-to-one girls uh, whilst I was out there, which was great, and um, keeping an eye on how they're going at the moment too. Um, so that was kind of how I supported myself and done a bit of work for Cricket Victoria at the time in their junior junior setups and um, under-18 competitions too. So very fortunate that the club sorted all that out for me um, and that's how I supported mm. myself mm. Um, and having the time to train um, away from coaching as yeah. well.
0: It's it's um, obviously women's cricket is still behind men's cricket and okay. it's changing fast. But something that I try and sort of, uh, I suppose, get across to our viewers and our listeners is how hard sometimes the women have it yeah. or have had it when they're chasing their dream. They have to maintain a job or do part time yeah. job or do this and that. Whereas sometimes the men haven't had to. Um, I'm fortunate to have been and played overseas. i obviously grown up in Australia. I played in the UK and played for Middlesex mm-hmm. as well. But I know there's a lot of pressure that comes with being an overseas player, even at club level. Yeah. How did you deal with that as a 21-year-old?
1: I think um, I was quite lucky in that no one really knew who I was when I came over, so I kind of had a blank slate. And, and just before I came out there with Middlesex, I was 12 all the time. So going to Melbourne, no one knew who I was. Yes, I might have been an overseas, but. They had no idea what I had done in the past or any any recollection of my stats or anything. So I was going on a blank slate and I actually felt no pressure um, because they didn't know who I was. Um, obviously I put some kind of pressure on myself that I wanted to come out here and, and score runs and take wickets and all this kind of stuff. Um, but because there was no expectation from anyone, it was a lot easier to just enjoy the process of working hard and... And just going out and putting into practice what I was what I was learning. So, um, in that sense, it was really quite easy and enjoyable to be on the pitch with new bunch of people, get to know them, and almost kind of just be myself without mm-hmm. without anyone worrying um, or having painted a picture of you before beforehand. Mm.
0: Now you went back to England and you did really well, which we're gonna to touch on in a minute, but. What were the key lessons or takeaways from your six months in Australia the first time? What do you think you took home, and I'm putting you on the spot here, yeah. three or so years ago, so it's, but what do you look back on now, I think the real pivotal sort of moments of that six months?
1: I think it was the space. Um, I had a lot of me time in between training sessions, um, and I almost got to understand how I operate, how, um, you know, that maybe, I didn't have much self-belief or I didn't I wasn't that confident um, at the time and kind of just understood how my nerves came into a game. I was just a bit more aware of what I was thinking and um, there was no distraction, so it was literally me and my thoughts for a lot of the time and I had to kill a lot of time. So I think that was the biggest thing I learned and then I was able to kind of harness that and and put that into a routine of some sort and kind of understand this is Okay, I'm getting a little bit stressed now on the cricket pitch, I could probably need to just chill out again how I was back at home and then go and then carry on. So I think that was the biggest lesson. It was more the off-field stuff that I learned about myself, which enabled me to work on the on-field stuff because I think they're definitely both exactly the same. If you know how your mindset works off the field, you're going to know how you're going to operate on the field mm. when there's when high pressure moments or high adrenaline moments for sure. Mm. And obviously
0: you spent a lot of time working on your batting. Yeah. You went back and you scored your highest sort of score yeah. of 72 for Middlesex against Sussex. And the, at the time the England women women's coach yeah. um, Mark Robinson was watching. He then elevated you mm-hmm. to the England Academy and you also got picked up by one of the Kia Super League sides. Yeah. Firstly, that mm-hmm. must have been a great feeling to have yeah. sort of... Showing yourself and the people that had invested in you up until that point that your batting was capable.
1: Yeah, it was Um, it was a bit of a whirlwind season. I came back and we had a, a new Middlesex coach, Sanjay Patel. Then, again, he had no idea what I'd done in the past either. So all of this stuff, he was like, oh, why were you batting at nine last year? And do you want to open the batting? And then got, got this opportunity and everything just kick-started. I almost... Had to take a step back in a way and look, realise, oh my god, this is actually happening. All the goals that I had written down, they're actually happening and it kind of came quite quickly on me and I didn't know how to handle it either. Um, I, I wasn't quite in that whole confident self-belief state just yet. I didn't know that my batting was capable of such things and it kind of just happened. Um, but it was an exciting time and I'm so grateful for having those opportunities because, again, that probably would've shaped my next two, three years from one and knowing what I needed to work on on the the higher um, levels of cricket.
0: Awesome, and now a genuine all-rounder. At that point in time, like I said, you you came back and you didn't have a contract for the inaugural Kia Super League, the first season. You then got one. You had two seasons with the Sarri Stars and then two seasons with the Western Storm. Mm -hmm. What was this Kia Super League like? What did it do for women's cricket in the UK? And how did you feel in that environment playing with and against some of the best players in the UK? Uh,
1: the Kia Super League, for the four years that it's run, it's it's been such a big change and an important change for women's cricket. Um, more people have taken notice. We've had average crowds of around three, 4,000 people watching the game. We've had young girls get buying the merchandise and picking up a cricket bat and the uptake of um girls cricket has come on so much more and I think the Kia Super League has done a very good job in kind of kick everything that's happening now. So um it was definitely really good and it was almost the first time professional a professional setup was created for domestic county players as well. So aside from the England girls having the professional setup to play the international games, the level below didn't really experience anything like that. So you've got so many more county players who've experienced what a professional setup feels like with having four or five coaches looking after you, your nutrition, your psychology, um, your recovery, so having that experience al- almost bridges the gap between your county player and, and moving on to the next level so it's served a really good purpose for, for all the county players and, and also g- generating a new, um, new Wave of girls playing
0: the game too. Awesome, and that's where I suppose I'm fortunate to have had a few other very good female cricketers on, and and you guys are paving the way for the next generation. You're bridging the gap from the the past where there was no sort of professionalism, there was no extra coaching, there was no money to the future where they're going to probably be paid the same as men in um, the near future and and have an amazing lifestyle. Um, However, you haven't been paid a whole lot throughout your career. What have you had to do to manage things to get by? I know you've, up until recently, you had a job at school, yeah. you've done some coaching. What are the things you've had to do over your career?
1: Um, it's been, I've kind of had to make that decision between how much I wanted to train and how much I wanted to work. Um, so I have, yeah, worked at a high school for the last three years, um, part-time. So my average working week would probably be about 20 to 25 hours mixed with some one-to-ones and you kind of have to balance working and then fitting in your training um so your day ends up and ends up being quite long it's a 12 hour day and it does get quite tiring and and taxing. and you know like you said it will things like that will change in the the near future but um for me it has been quite difficult um and you know my parents they're, they're supportive but at the same time they want to know that I'm going to be financially stable, and um, cricket at the moment doesn't offer that, so they're always quite confused as to how am I how am I going to be financially stable by doing just twenty hours a week and mm. still training for cricket and not really getting the the value back from it. So mm. um, naturally, they are worried about where my future, what my future looks like. Mm. Um, but then it'd be silly for me to not try and not know what could happen and
0: that's mm. kind of why I am sticking at it for mm. now. And well done to you. We've had chats about this obviously in our time together and I think you should be really proud um, of the decisions you've made and I'm sure your parents um, fully support you. However, they're looking out for their, their daughter, yeah. they're wanting what's best for her, um, but I'm sure they understand that you're chasing a dream and from my point of view, I think we only live once. So well done for having a crack. And um, any girls watching this, um, young girls or someone watching this in, in sort of 20 years when the landscape is, is all different, these are the sort of things that a lot of people don't realise happen behind closed doors. They might see you play on TV in the 100 um, coming up this year. They might have seen you in there um, for the Kiev Super League, but they don't realise the sacrifices you guys, mm-hmm. as female have had to make. So well done to you and, <laughs> and the, your peers as well. You're out here playing for Midland Vilford, as I mentioned. You got here at the start of January, having three and a bit months here. Yeah. How has this time been for you so far?
1: Oh, it's been probably, again, one of the best decisions I've made to come out here and, and work on my game. I was on and narrowing about coming um, out uh, this winter, um, but it's, you know, playing out on, on turf and um, just playing games, you learn so much more than um, training in a indoor winter net. Uh, for six months and it's been a really good experience, the, the club have been great um, and I've really got a chance to work on those mental routines that um, I needed to do. I've been pra- trying to practice them indoors but like I said in a high pressure situation that's when it really counts um, to try and put those routines into place so I feel like I can go home and kind of be quite happy with what mental routines I've come up with. Um and try and use them for my best, for, for my games back home. Awesome, we'll get in a little bit more into
0: your mindset shortly, but you've had some success since you've been here. It's, did you feel like coming out this time, three years later with a little bit more cricket behind you, you um, did you feel any more pressure? Have you felt like you've got to perform well for Midland? Um, how different has the experience been from when you were at Paran? And you've done well, as I said, so what do you think the keys are or have been to your success this season?
1: Um, yeah, it was certainly very different coming out here. Almost all the players knew who I'd played for. They'd seen cl- <laughs> clips on of me at the Kia Super League and, and things like that. So um, there was definitely a lot more expectation, but I think it was more expectation on myself that I needed to come here as an overseas, to score, ru- score runs, take wickets, and show, show why I play those levels of cricket back home. Um, so I did find it tough at the start. Um, but you know after after kind of working on my mindset the last 12 months to 18 months on confidence and and self-belief and um, just enjoying what I'm doing um, it almost once I remind myself of that it almost became a lot easier to just go out and do what I'm here to do not worry about what everyone else thinks and um, it's easier said than done for sure Mm. Um, but um if that was that's probably something that I'm really happy about and and just working on keeping that confidence going and mm-hmm. um I think that's the biggest thing I've learned whilst being here is not worrying about expectations and just worrying about yourself which will hopefully
0: hold you in good stead going home and then there are lots of expectations Let's take a break from Naomi for a minute and go back to our last episode with Australian batter Nicole Bolton.
2: I just remember as a 15-year-old um, playing for Sydney Myrish, I started, came in at number six and that was like a pretty big deal back then because some, you know, really good players playing and then when I eventually went to the underage stuff, um, I sort of bypassed the 17s and I just played 19s as a 15-year-old and... That was literally like the level that I played at. So I was always exposed to playing with, um, I guess, people that were older than me. And um, I guess that sort of fast-tracked my development in the sport as well.
0: Awesome. Now you've, you've made a career as an opening batter. Um, I can't imagine your older brothers would let you bat too much in the backyard. How did that <laughs> all come about? How did you become such a good batter?
2: Yeah, I think um, it was funny, actually, because they would bat and they would know that I would just throw balls to them all day and field and do all that. But, yeah. Um, yeah I don't know like I just remember going around like when Dave and Ad played at Hale School um, you know I would take a ball and bat down and I just get all the blokes to, to throw me balls and just hit I just loved it like it was just something that I really enjoyed um, and then yeah I'm not really sure where the opening bat came I think it was just sort of in our family I mean dad was an opening bat Dave and, and Adam were and I guess it was just something that I. Uh, pinpointed as I really enjoyed the opportunity to to bat all day um so yeah I guess that's where it came from
0: well you've got good heritage or pedigree I suppose with all the the father and the brothers and like I said Dave was a very good cricketer and a a wily bowler yeah Um, he must have challenged you in the backyard a bit
2: yeah yeah he did actually um when we moved house we actually um had a really good sort of um track that we could play backyard cricket on and um you know he wasn't short of actually sniffing me a few times with the tape tennis ball, and the issue was so I would obviously I'm a left-hander, so the off side was opened up, and if I was to play on the leg side, it was straight into the house, so. It actually um, developed my offside game because that was the only way I could score. <laughs> yeah, amazing.
0: And is that, has that carried on throughout your career? Do you find that you're a much better offside player in, in your career now?
2: Well, I one of the shots that like a, I feel like is a strength is the cut shot. And obviously Dave's pretty tall and so he he wouldn't give me too many opportunities to drive the ball down the ground. So I think I sort of developed my back foot play in the backyard.
0: Yeah, it's amazing how many stories there are like that where... You've got, if you hit it through a certain gap, that's four or six runs, and players become great at that shot in their international career. So incredible how you can sort of trace it back to the backyard. Now let's get back to Naomi. Now, you said about working on your mindset. Yeah. What are the certain, What are the things you've done over the last 18 months you talk about?
1: Um, I think journaling is probably one of the key things that I've done. Every day I'll write down, um, uh, something that I'm going to do for the day, so a direction, um, and then I'll write something quite positive, so some self-believing thoughts that make me feel quite uncomfortable to write, um, but that's why I write them and almost try and repeat them two or three times to, um, to make make me get comfortable being that person. So, believe. And believe. And believe that that's actually going to happen. So a really key one that I'd, I'd probably like to share with people is, um, after two years of playing Surrey Stars, I unfortunately didn't retain that contract, and I was a bit in limbo. Like I don't even know what Super League team I'm going to play for, um, and so I started writing. I believe I'm going to play for Western Storm. I kept writing that um, over and over again every day. I had no affiliation with Western Storm whatsoever. I just thought, well, maybe that team. That team looks like a really good setup. I would like to play for that team. And then certain things started happening, you know, I, then I started believing, I went to the trials, still writing the same thing every day, and then two, three months later I've got the contract. And I Amazing. just find like that's a really, you know, it might be a coincidence, it might not. Um, but the fact that I believed it, and then when I went to the trial, I backed, batted so well, I almost surprised myself that I could do that. Um, so, I think writing things like that definitely has helped my confidence. and. Mm. Um, you know, that's that come from my personal trainer back home who, who's probably worked closely with me with my mindset um, in the gym and, and um, off the field as well, give me little tasks to do every, every week and kind of just go out and stick to them and be consistent doing mm-hmm. that. So um, it's, it's not magic, it's just something no, no. to... Have you, have you
0: heard the story of Jim Carrey writing himself a cheque? No, no. Jim Carrey wrote himself a 10 million dollar cheque and said, I'll be cashing this in in three years. And three years later, you've got a role that paid him $10 million. Oh, wow. So there, I, I truly believe in, in affirmations and c- creating a vision and um, the, the self-talk we have is, is really, really important. Um, how do you deal with nerves, anxiety, stress, um, whether that's in your everyday life or whether that's around performance and on game day?
1: Um, I think... Something that I've recently started is meditation to just, just try and calm down. I think I am quite a sh- stressful person, like a stressed person or an overthinker. But I think if you have coping mechanisms like breathing, which I've learned through meditation, or um, just trying to like even slow slow yourself down when you're talking. So if you feel like you're nervous and uh, talking to my partner at the other end. I can almost notice myself talking really quickly and I'm like, maybe I just need to slow down and I've just become more aware of mm. signs of that. Um, so just coping with that slightly better um, has allowed me to deal with those nerves and being under pressure. And, and um, especially on game day, game day um, I would love to like play a game of football or something with like, my other teammates and just take my mind that I'm playing cricket in about an hour's time. Mm. So doing things to just take me off, like I can't sit down and chill out for an hour, that would be the worst thing for me to do because that would allow me loads of thoughts to come into my head that I don't need. So actively doing something fun mm. um, and and trying to incorporate that into my week. So um, whether it, uh, sometimes I've sometimes done a bit of rock climbing now and again or I'll go... the driving range and just going to do something fun to kind of renew yourself every Mm -hmm. week that's kind of helped me stay Mm -hmm. like pressure free and Mm keep the nerves down in general
0: you speak about fun and you spoke about starting as a nine-year-old yeah i've asked this question i asked this question of kate cross recently do you think you still get as much fun and enjoyment out of cricket as you did as a nine-year-old or is it really hard to now juggle having fun and just playing with Complete freedom and joy with trying to build a career and be a professional out of cricket.
1: I think it's really difficult to just have fun and not worry about your cricket career because there's something on the line. Um, But if you're having fun you're probably playing your best cricket. So I've certainly fluctuated between the two and I probably fluctuate that in a game. Um, I probably go from saying I just doesn't matter, just have fun you miss the ball you miss the ball if you drop the catch you drop the catch but just have fun and with people around you and then yeah you're going to play better but it's actually really difficult to not worry about the expectation or the the future of what your performance here leads to Um, but I think when you can find a way to enjoy yourself and trust yourself that I've put in all the hard work in the other six days, and when it comes to the game day, I can just relax and mm-hmm. have fun. If you can get to that kind of point and you can repeat that I over a bit, that's lives. where you're gonna have the most success for sure. So it's just trusting what you've put in the hard work and that's done now. Mm-hmm. Leave that aside and now trust yourself that you can have fun and your skills will come out mm-hmm. free flowing um, okay. and then you'll be successful.
0: How do you let go? How do you deal with mistakes or bad performances?
1: Um, i probably self-reflect after a game. So, if i had a bad performance, i still write maybe write down a couple of things that went well um, and try and draw out some positives out of the day because there's always positives out of what you're doing. Um, or, and then reflect on, you know, if I got out nicking the ball, uh, was that shot there to play? Would I do it again? yes, no, um, did I execute what I wanted to do, wanted to do, yes or no, and if, if you've done what you're set out to do and you answer yes, then then you're fine, it's not a bad performance, you just didn't execute it well. If, if you went chasing after a ball that you're not normally used to, then you'd reflect and say, well, I probably need to put that shot away, that's not something how I play, so mm. that's, that's as simple as I'll go for reflecting. On what I've what I've done and and then just taking it into a positive and moving on for the next game.
0: Yeah, very very good advice. Um, and I suppose you have to forgive yourself for mistakes, don't yeah. you, and yeah. for getting something wrong in your game and in the game, the highest at the highest level. What do you think is the breakdown of technical versus mental?
1: I think to play at the highest level, you've got to have some kind of sound technique. To get there, otherwise you'll I think you'll get found out like quickly. Um, but then after that, you know, you might not have the most perfect technique, but you've got a very strong mindset and mentality. So if you can kind of get your technique up to as best as you can without being a perfectionist, I guess. And but then really working on your mentality, I think it will put you in a better in a, in a better. Um, state to play the game because you'll be able to deal with, I guess, your weaknesses, you know what your weakness is, the other team probably know what your weaknesses are, but if you can maximise your strengths because of your mentality, I know I'm going to hit the ball, pull the ball, if it's in my slot every single time, ten times out of ten, then that's fine, I think when you get to the high level, that's kind of where you probably need to be, is get your technique to the highest point. And then mentality takes over and out outdo your bowling partner at the
0: other end, end. And as you said before, a number yeah. of times, trust yourself, trust your game, trust yeah. your process, not worry about your technique. Because mm-hmm. I think that's a big thing amateurs do and players yeah. who don't quite reach their full potential. They worry about their technique yeah. a lot, which doesn't then allow them to focus their energy and attention on the present moment and yeah. reacting to the ball. What's the importance of fitness in the modern game, do you think? You've been, since you've been here, I've seen firsthand how hard you're training on your fitness. Yeah. Um, what do you think in women's cricket now, prof- professionally, the importance of women's cricket, uh, fitness is?
1: Oh, I think it's massive. I think um, if you've got two players in front of you with the same skill set and, and everything, and one's fitter than the other, you're getting picked over the one that's fitter. So. Well, I heard
0: Sorry to cut you off, I heard a story from the strength conditioning coach yeah. at the Wacker, um, he said that in the women's World Cup, what that was a borderline selection, and one player got selected over the other because of the two K time trial. Wow,
1: yeah. So there you go. Like that. That explains it all. If you, you know, there's, your your skill set's always going to be quite similar to someone else, and that's your competition when you get to that level. So fitness is one of the things you can control, um, and if you're putting in the work and being that much more fit than than your counterpart, um, then you're going to be able to get find yourself in the playing eleven and I think it's so important. And it also allows you to be a bit more agile in the field, you might be able to dive for balls that you didn't think you could or chase balls on the boundary that you didn't think you could. So it definitely serves a massive part in cricket in the modern game. Mm,
0: absolutely and it's something that we're really um, sort of passionate about mentoring is trying to create holistic athletes um, I know you've got a background in some personal training as well you're studying um, tell us a little bit more about that
1: yeah so I've always had a passion for sports science and just recently come to the end of a, a personal training course and a bit of sports mas- massage too so um, you know on the side I'd like to kind of work on that area and, and, and it's really good playing a sport and trying to put the two together. I can, mm. I can like test that stuff in the gym and see how that works and see how that responds. So it's quite a good um, matching of, of, of the two things. So um, one day that will be, I guess, my full-time job if mm. it doesn't work out.
0: Yeah, awesome. That's really exciting. Great to continually be upskilling yourself off yeah. the field. How do you get away from the game, how do you switch off and relax, what do you do?
1: Um, I think I'm quite a social person. I like to go for coffees with like different people. Um, go watch a movie, or um, like I said, experimented with rock climbing, and um, I actually really enjoy like going to the gym as well. Just like I said, experimenting with stuff or trying out a new fitness class here or something like that. So um, that's kind of how I switch off and kind of escape get escape the real world and, and just try to be as social as I can, but also I'm quite an introvert too, so I need my own time to maybe listen to a podcast or um, just watch a movie by myself um, at home as well. Mm.
0: Now this is something we've worked on over the last few weeks, but give everyone a bit of an insight into your pre-ball routine. Mm-hmm. And you've had success recently for Midland. What do you do? What are you doing at the moment? What are you working on with your pre ball and post ball routine?
1: Um, so, once I've played A ball or just before I'm facing up, I'll, I'll walk over to square leg and kind of use the white line um, on the side to kind of step out of. So, I use that to step out of and kind of have my thoughts. And we've been working on. Um, a process of reflecting, relaxing and then refocusing so um, I'd reflect what that ball was, you know, maybe it'd be something technical that I didn't quite achieve there or or I just didn't hit the ball into a gap I'd reflect on that and then um, give myself time to relax and that's probably the hardest part that we've been working on is the relaxing part um, we've been speaking about how I haven't given myself a chance to actually relax so um, maybe it's like you said, walking, um, looking at the river, and who's walking around, or um, chatting to the wicket keeper, or maybe having a little chat to the square leg umpire for a little bit. Um, so definitely been working on that a lot more. And um, the two two innings that I've been really successful here, I've I've done that. I've had a conversation with someone at like mid wicket, or just just um, taking my mind off it, and that's been my relaxing time. Mm. And then when it comes to facing up again, I've kind of set my feet, I'm balanced, I've got my head going towards the ball um, and then I've just refocused on the white ball as they're starting to run up and that's probably what my routine is. And I think I need to keep working on the relaxing part and make make sure my teammates know that that's what I want to do as well. So it might be a case of them coming up to me mid-over and just telling me something funny. Um, So that's a work in progress, but I've definitely seen the um, signs of success through what I've been
0: doing out here. Mm. And as we've spoken about in our sessions, it's that's where your true success is gonna come. There's a few technical things that you can adjust and adapt, which everybody Mm -hmm. has, but your real sort of great success is gonna come and Mm -hmm. consistency is gonna come by nailing that routine and that process and getting your focus back for every ball being able to relax and not drain your sort of mental capacity yeah. really quickly. Um, moving on, back to sort of the women's game, yeah. you're a bit of a pioneer in women's cricket in yeah. the UK, in the fact that you're one of only a few sort of um, female Asian cricketers that played in the Kia Super League. Yeah. Why do you think there aren't many of your generation, but surely that's going to change moving forward?
1: Um, it's a tricky one because the Asian population are massive on cricket. They love their cricket. So, and and back home, you know, even where I live, uh, there's a high um, population of Asian um, ethnic minorities. And, you know, I've been looking into it a lot more and trying to understand why there are not more coming through the system. And I, I think it's an educational thing with the parents um, and, and the, the girls themselves, knowing that, they're probably going to have to make a lot more harder decisions growing up and um, missing social occasions and uh, sacrificing the food that they, you know, the Asians make lovely food. So it's sacrificing that I probably can't have that or I need to moderate what I'm eating at my cousin's house or my family's house or at the wedding or things like that and being able to factor, factor that into their into their progress. And when it comes to the education of the parents, they all know um, what the pathway is to be successful in education and um, and getting a job and kind of following that trend of them getting married and, and so on. And um, being secure. And being secure because I guess their generation, uh, where they came from, you know, my parents came from, born in Kenya and lived in India for a lot of their time, you know, education was... was everything. Hard. Yeah, everything. And, and that was the way that they were going be TK? successful. So... Yeah they almost don't know that sport can be a career and I think the more we educate the parents and the more we educate the younger girls the more we're going to see them come through the system and I know just working with the South Asian uh, ECB programme um, and meeting few of the parents they almost had no idea kind of what the pathway was when I, once I explained um, that that's, this is what I've done. so. Once we do that, I think we'll start seeing a lot more Asian girls come through the system. Mm. Um, but we need we need more at the top of the game so they can aspire to be. Mm. Um, they can see that there's Asian girls. Otherwise, this is never going to happen. Um, you know. You know. I'll I'll put my hand up and hopefully someone can aspire to follow the journey that I I've been through and a couple of other girls are trying to pave the way for the same things too. So. Mm. I don't think it will be long till we see more, and mm. I'm keen to mentor and help a few young girls on that pathway should they choose to pick cr- cricket as a career, which they 100 percent can. Mm. now that it's full time professional for sure. Mm.
0: And well done to you for being one of the one of the leaders in your community, your culture. Um, you're you're an inspiration, and, and no doubt there will be a lot of young girls aspiring to be the next name of the Tani. So. The Women's World Cup final, or the whole World Cup, but having 86,000 plus fans, spectators, at the MCG for women's cricket, you were there yourself. That m- will be a game changer, and like you say, that will open the eyes of a lot of parents, I'm sure, to say, yes, um, nine-year-old daughter Naomi, we want to support you and really encourage you to chase this dream.
1: Yeah, I think um, that day was just incredible to be there um, as a fan and as a cricket player myself um, I almost just sat back and just observed what was going on I, I wasn't the one cheering or screaming because it you know, I I just couldn't believe that there was this many people and you know, I think there was a couple behind me that were really into the game and knew who Ashley Gardner was Beth Mooney, Alyssa Healy, they, they knew their stats, their everything and you're like, this is women's cricket now, mm-hmm. people, your average Joe knows What Beth Mooney's stats are, and and it was incredible to um to just witness eighty six thousand people really supporting women, um, women in sport, um, the cricket, and and the platform that it's really gonna really create for um future future generations. And has it
0: inspired you even more to try and get to that level and one day be in front of a packed house in a World Cup final?
1: I mean, yeah, um, just. I was trying to picture myself sometimes like standing out in the middle and what what I'd feel being out there and like, I almost was really excited that this could be, this could happen one day and actually I, I can't wait for it to happen yeah. um, and it's made me want to work harder and um, just keep going on the journey that I am. Uh, you know at one point I was gonna just give up with it because I didn't think there was much available, but now everything's changing. It's almost silly not to um, stay in the game and see what, where it can take you because there are so many opportunities opening up for everyone at the moment.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and again, well done to you for chasing your dream. Up. I, as we've spoken about before, I think if you get to thirty and it hasn't worked out, you can always go and get a job and you're upskilling yourself. You're you're building a life outside of cricket as well. So you've got to have that there for you when when cricket finishes, but. I'd love to see you one day in an England shirt playing a World Cup final. I really do hope it happens. Um, you've got the hundred coming up this year. Yeah. How tell us a bit about that and how you're feeling about being part of the London Spirit, which is going to feature the England captain Heather Knight and there opening about a Tammy Bowman. How You must be excited to team up with them.
1: Yeah, really excited. I think we've got a few few girls um, coming over from the Western Storm contingent coming over to London Spirit, so it's going to be quite familiar. Um, and it's always great working with um, Heather um, as well and also coming back to my hometown um, which would be really great having an affiliation uh, with Middlesex I'm really looking forward to the competition it sounds like a really good initiative um, being also aligned with the men everyone's on the same playing field um, and having the opportunity to play at Lords which is going to be incredible um, so I'm really looking forward to the competition and. Um, and everything that it's, it's going to bring and hopefully attract more crowds and just be bigger and better than than the KSL um, than the KSL was.
0: You mentioned Lords there. You've been captain of Middlesex for yeah. the past three years. Have you managed to ban Lords a few times? Yeah,
1: we had a um, we have a London Cup game against Surrey in the T Twenty every year. Um, who are um, and last year we had a game at Lords, but due to rain, we only played a five over game. But it was such a good game and we won on the last ball and holding the title for the last five years now, so wow. I'm not letting Surrey have a sniff in just yet. <laughs> uh, excellent. I'm very
0: fortunate, um, having played for Middlesex yeah. myself, to have spent a bit of time at Lord's and, yeah. and it's such a special ground, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and Yeah. When we, there's a really um, iconic picture, which I think it got nominated for Photo of the Year from Wisdom Cricket with all of us Middlesex girls walking out of the long room and um, taking the field uh, onto Lords and just walking through the long room or coming down from the changing rooms, you almost like there's been some some serious talent that have come from these um, from these changing rooms and people that have walked through the long room um, before us and yeah it was just a really special day and just soaked it up from from ball from ball one or waiting around on the sideline as mm. well, so it, it was a good day.
0: Well, no doubt there'll be many more great days at Lords um, in your future, in your career. Yeah. Hopefully not just for the London Spirit, but also for England, and we'll be certainly supporting you throughout all of that. Um, now, before we wrap up, some questions ask, well, I ask all our guests is, what is common in the best players that you've seen?
1: I think consistency, what they do every day in, day out, and it's the simple things. Um, I think sometimes people overcomplicate when they see a professional cricketer or a sports person. They think there's this magic formula that they do, uh, that they do. And I think the best players in the world are consistent with the basic things. Um, so things like going to sleep at the same time every day, and having the same nutritious food every day, and um, doing a gym session, and doing all of that, just doing those basic things every single day, um, and being consistent with it. Is probably what's gonna make them the most successful. And I don't think there's any magic pill mm, <laughs> to just want to do that. If you're consistent, you you can achieve anything basically.
0: Yeah. Who's the hardest opponent you've played against?
1: Uh, I don't really like bowling against Susie Bates. Um, she's played a few county seasons over here, um, over in uh, in the UK, and she just hits ball three sixty. And I, like, you know, you. You want to take a chance. If, if she gives she gives you a chance, you've got to take a chance. So I think she's probably one of the most dynamic batters I've uh, bowled against. But it's always a good uh, competition against her.
0: Yeah. What advice would you give to your younger self?
1: Um, not to worry about what people think. I think that's probably the biggest one, and just go about what what you want to do and. If someone thinks negatively of it, then it doesn't matter, you just keep doing it because you know you're having fun and I think if I could have learnt that from a younger age, um, maybe things could have fast-tracked a bit earlier, who knows, mm. but definitely just not to worry about what people think because at the end of the day it's your life and it's your career and future.
0: And that is such um, profound advice and it's something that we try and preach to our mentoring community. It it is your life and although you want to please people, you want to fit in, we all need to understand we've got to do what we want to do. Um, As long as it's not harmful to others or it's not um, illegal, um, if we have dreams, we should be chasing because we only get one life, so brilliant, brilliant advice. What's next for you? Uh, Next, obviously, going back
1: home for the UK season, um, hopefully the weather and everything uh, it's promising, but and the virus and the virus too. Uh, with a few um, preseason games that have already been cancelled, unfortunately. But um, yeah, go back and just keep keep going with the momentum that I've created here, and working on those mental routines. Um, probably go back into some coaching and working with a few few young talent, uh, some girls over there, um, uh, and then just kick the county season running and, and, and everything that follows after it. When does the county season get underway? Um, it'll be the first weekend of May that we start our 2020 campaign. Right. Well, fingers crossed everything's okay by then and you're, yeah. you're into
0: it. And like you say, you can use what you've learned and done here, is your success over there. Now, why do you play cricket?
1: Um, I play cricket for the reasons that the lessons I learn in cricket about myself, I, I learn them off the field too, so I feel like I've learned, I get to train um, the mind, the body and everything that I do in cricket and then take that outside of the game too, so I really like how them two kind of work together and um, without cricket I don't think I would have learned as much as I've learned about myself, so um, that's probably why I play cricket and, and just taking the field with 10 other girls and who also have their own reasons for loving the game and just having a good time on the pitch.
0: Awesome, awesome. Now, before I ask the last question, how can people follow your journey?
1: Um, follow me on Instagram, as at Naomi.Tani, um, or on Twitter, which is just at Instagram um, Instagram's probably the place where I'll probably post more of my fitness workouts and, and things like that, so that'll be a good place to have a look. Awesome. And we're also going to be releasing a a day in the
0: life of video with you. We had um, our videographer Spurry spend a day with you. Um, So you gave us an amazing insight into your training, what you do when you're not training and um, your your gym sessions, your running, etc. So that'll be coming out very soon. So guys, when you're listening um, or watching this, make sure you check that out as well. Now, the final question I ask everyone on this podcast is, what is your definition of success?
1: I'm just gonna answer with one word and that's consistency, as I mentioned before. Um, same thing, consistent day in, day out, you're gonna be successful. Amazing, amazing Naomi. Thank you very much. Thank you for
0: coming you. on and sharing your journey, your story. It's very inspiring, there's so much power, and I really do hope it inspires um more young Asian women with girls in, in the UK and around the world to try and do what you've done and play um cricket at. A high level and hopefully at the highest level which you'll do at some point in the future so well done and good luck
1: thank you for having me
0: thank you well legends what a great story naomi shared with us i love having successful female cricketers on our podcast as they are all blazing the way for the future of women's cricket and inspiring the next generation of young girls which is where the biggest growth is going to be in cricket over the next decade and beyond Growing up not knowing there was girls cricket and pursuing something that hadn't been done by people around her or in her community is inspiring and I love hearing stories of people who chase their dreams regardless of what others think. I love how she said, you learn so much more by playing games than by training indoors during winter nets. As someone who spent nine years playing season after season in Australia and the UK, I couldn't agree with this more and always encourage cricketers of any level to play as much as and as often as they can as that's where the real learning and progress happens. I've seen firsthand how hard Naomi works and at just 25 years of age, I have no doubt that she has her best years ahead of her and as we discussed, by understanding and working on her routines and mindset, the success will come. I love that even though she's chasing her own dreams on the field, she's also trying to educate and inspire others to do the same. I hope that Naomi's story inspires one, two, or a few young girls around the world to chase their dreams. If you found Naomi's story interesting or valuable, then I'd love and really appreciate it if you could please share it with someone you think may also benefit from it. If you did find it valuable, please send Naomi a message on Instagram and let her know as I'm sure she'd love to hear from you. You can find her on at naomi.datani, D-A-T-T-A-N-I on Instagram. And please send me a message on the Cricket Mentoring social accounts to let me know what you thought. That's it for today's episode. If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd love it if you could please take 60 to 90 seconds to leave a review as it helps us move up the rankings and get heard by more people. Thanks a lot for listening. Now it's time to go out and get it done, legends.